Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And on tonight's show, Michael Gable of Fairmont Equities looks at his charts for the following stocks. Megaport, Ardent Leisure, Magellan, Ordinate and IGO, as well as the overall index to see where these stocks are heading for 2022. The Marcus Bogdan of Blackmore Capital reveals the stocks he's reduced and added to in his fund. Currency expert Michael Knox tells us where the Aussie dollar is heading. You'd be very interested in that one. And the princess of property uh, when it comes to investing, Margaret Lomas, uh, of Financial Destiny gives us her right royal tips on how to buy property in this hottest of hottest property markets. That's the show, so let's kick off with Michael Gable of Fairmont Equities. Welcome to the program, Michael. Thanks, Peter. Good to be back. Okay, mate, so I've asked you to look at a number of companies that have been mentioned by our various experts over the last week or so, but uh, it'd be nice to start off on where we think the index is heading. It's been quite a tumultuous period because of Omicron challenges and then responses by drug companies and mm. views of South African scientists, and then now the UK is going into restriction mode. So what is the ASX 200 index telling you about where it's going for 2022? Look, at the moment, the index does, in my opinion, look to be under a little bit of pressure again, of course. You know, it looked a little bit ugly there in August, September, and it managed to find some, in terms of the ASX 200, some good support around 7,200. And it looked like we we're gonna get a bit of a, a center rally, but it's all started to um, sort of unravel a little bit. And I don't think it's because of um, the Omicron variant. I think it's it's the US Fed that we have to, to blame for all of this because um, they're obviously bringing forward their, their tapering um, and the market's starting to price in some earlier rate rises. So I think that's going to weigh on the overall index. On the flip side, I think global growth looks really good. And I think, uh, I think companies will still continue to to grow their earnings. So I think there's, there's these opposing forces. We have you know, on the positive side, growth. Um, on the negative side, uh, the withdrawal of, of stimulus. And, and that does have an effect on the market. I think you know, a lot of share price rises over the last few years, you know, part of those rises can be attributed to lowering interest rates. So it's not just all about companies and their earnings. So I think 2022 will be quite difficult for some people because they'll be looking at businesses that they like and they'll be wondering why the share price isn't going up if this business is doing really well but we have to bear in mind this other sort of macro force of of reduced liquidity so I think over the course of the next 12 months we may end up with a market that at the index level just doesn't really make much progress but underneath the surface yeah, there'll be definitely there'll definitely be some opportunities, but there'll also definitely be stocks that um, you'll have to avoid. Okay, let's go to um, the first individual company you know, I've asked you to have a look at, and this is a company called Ordinate, <clears throat> mm. AD8, and uh, a, a number of people lately have been saying they like it. We've been following it since. I think Michael Wayne was the first to bring it up um, to us from Medallion. Um, 
and uh, and I noticed that Rudy Philippic Van Dyke on our monthly webinar for the Switzerland Report, he said he liked it. What's the mm. charts telling you? Well, it's definitely made progress over the last year. So it's heading in the right direction. It just seems to take the scenic route as we could see. It's uh, It's been very volatile, but um, at least it, as I said, it's headed in the right direction. Um, in terms of sort of talking through the way it's traded, I can see that in the first half of the year, um, it, it did basically fail to make progress. So while the broader market was heading higher, we could see that Ordinate uh, basically tracks sideways, but in that tightening range, which I've indicated with the diagonal blue lines, had a nice breakout and started to, to make up for lost time there. Um, most recently in September, October, when it fell back, it's interesting to see that it stopped where that breakout was in July. So that's a good sign. It's now starting to rally. There is a resistance level here, um, sort of around that 980, let's call it $10. Um, so I think if it clears that, it'd look even more positive. But at the moment, yeah, it, it looks like it wants to recover. So I'd be happy to hold this one. Yeah, and I've always figured that an aspect of this company is that it's going to be a beneficiary of reopening, getting back to normal, because a lot of its technology is used in big events and all that sort of stuff. And we know even like football games have reduced crowds, the concerts have reduced crowds and all that sort of stuff. So I, I, and, and there are other reasons why the company's got a, a reasonably promising future, but I, I do see it as a bit of that reopening trade as well. Yep. Let's go to the next one, mate. And this is um, Ardent Leisure. And I know the analysts like it. And uh, Eleanor Swanson from Firetrail, when she was on our program on Monday night, mentioned it as a stock that she liked as well. And the and, and mm. fund does. But what are the charts saying? Yeah, this is another one that's, that's made some good progress throughout the year. Um, there's some, some clear levels that, that we can see on this chart. Uh, you know, first half of the year, it. Um, obviously consolidated sideways. There was a very clear breakout just above a dollar. We had a very nice rally. Um, the last few weeks, in my opinion, is a bit, bit negative. It seemed to push through to a new high, but the fact that it's dropped from about a dollar 70 down towards a dollar 40 in a short amount of time, yeah, a little, little bit of a concern, but it is holding that support there. So it, it seems like a dollar 40 is a good support level for it. Um, and as long as it bounces along here, you could, you know, treat that as an opportunity to buy. Um, but on the flip side, if it um, if it breaks under a dollar forty, we may well see it retrace all the way back to a dollar ten. So, I've look, I'm, I'm familiar with with trading hard at leisure. I've been in and out of this one a few times over the last year. It's a good it's a good trading stock, but um, it is pretty illiquid. So that's that partially explains why it just moves so much. So if you if you're going to make a decision to buy or sell. You know, don't go and make a coffee and come back. It'll probably move another 10%. So you need to make a quick decision. Okay. And, and I guess this is another sort of reopening trade as well, isn't it, mate? That, you yeah. know, this is, you know, tourism and dream world. It's the main event business in America, which is bowling alleys and other events and things like that. So the more we head towards normalcy, a company like this, you think would be a beneficiary. But with things yeah. like Omicron and restrictions in the UK, there'd be a lot of people who just aren't 100% confident that circumstances are going to be great for this company in the short term, while long term it would be. Yeah, that's right. I think it's, um, you know, the, 
the, the main event in, in the US, that part of the business is doing really well. But on again, on the flip side there, that's, that's probably susceptible to um, what's happening with COVID because you know, they don't have the vaccination rates that we do in Australia. So, you know, hopefully common sense prevails and, you know, we don't go back down that path. Um, but if we don't, then, yeah, this is definitely a business that will benefit from that reopening. Okay. Let's go to one that's been in the news lately, and that's um, Magellan Financial Group, NFG, and <clears throat> Hamish Douglas, the, um, the leader, CEO of the company, um, has had a lot of column inches in newspapers recently, and the share price has struggled because um, he, he um, probably took too much cash, held too much cash during the, the rebound. He, he played a conservative game, went against him. A lot of analysts believe the funds will actually improve this year because they don't believe he's going to have multiple bad years. But at this point yeah. in time, the, the stock, the head stock for Magellan has really copped it. Is there any sign that the market's starting to become forgiving for the company? Not yet. Not yet, unfortunately. So it's a bit of a horrible looking downtrend. Um, when I had a look at some momentum indicators, I don't have them on the chart here, but I was having a look at some other momentum indicators and it looks like maybe we could get potentially a short-term bounce. I mean, we saw a bit of a bounce yesterday, but, but now the stock's down again today. So... Uh, after such a, a steep decline, and we can see that it has been trending down for over a year now, it is one of those situations where it would need to base out for a while. Yes, last year, you know, we, we got that big drop, as we could see on the chart, and it, and it rebounded very swiftly, but, but that was obviously because of COVID. And those, those sorts of rebounds are quite unusual. In the normal course of events, you'd expect it to uh, build a bit of a base. Um, yeah, look, you know, as, you, as we know, our industry is pretty brutal. You have a very short period of time without performing and, uh, and they all turn on you. But um, yeah, I, I think that with this particular business, you know, when, when performance improves because of the, you know, these funds management businesses, as you know, they've got you know, a certain number of fixed costs. And, and as the funds under management starts to increase and the fees start to roll in based on better performance, you know, they're very much leveraged to that and you'll see a huge move in the share price when that happens. But I just think it's too early to, uh, to be stepping in. Yeah, okay. Let's go to our next one. This is Megaport, another company that you know, we've liked and a number of our experts in the program have put us on the Megaport. Um, and Eleanor Swanson, once again, from Firetrail Investments, when she was asked to present at the Hearts and Minds Conference, put Megaport as the stock she liked for 2022. Um, and um, so I thought, well, let's just see what you, you, the charts are telling you, Michael, about the company. Yeah, overall, the chart still looks very good. So um, we spoke about this one a couple of times earlier in the year and, and it was trending down as we could see with that diagonal blue line on the left-hand side and then um, about six months ago, when we saw it break that downtrend and push through to 1415, um, that was the buy signal and it's looked good ever since. So it rallied very, very strongly after that, that buy signal up towards $18. Then it needed to take a breather. So that's where I've got the horizontal blue lines. We could see it you know, just, just consolidating that move. Um, and then in October, early November, it, it broke through 18. So all the selling was done. And it's managed to have a clear run. So big run up to 22. 
and all it's doing now is just undergoing another short-term consolidation. So, you know, the diagonal blue lines at the top right just show that um, it's just consolidating that big rally from before. And I think it's only, it looks like it's only a matter of days away from moving out of that range uh, and then resuming the uptrend. So definitely if I was holding this, I'd, I'd continue to hold it. It looks, uh, it looks really good. Okay. Let's go to, the, oh, by the way, I should add for people who want more information, you can watch uh, Monday's TV show where Eleanor uh, is interviewed for 10 minutes, but also on the switzer.com.au website, I did the longer interview as a podcast. So if you want to get an idea of um, who Eleanor is and why she was selected to present at the Hearts and Wines conference, well, that podcast could be a good thing to do. And that's where she talks at length about both Megaport and uh, Leisure. Okay, mate, let's go to the final one, IGO. Tell us about the company. I don't, I don't know the company. Yeah, so this, this is my pick, um, IGO, um, used to be called Independence Group. So it's a nickel producer. They've recently um, expanded into lithium. So, you know, the two metals that everyone's excited about yep. um, at the moment, and that's reflected in the way it's been, been trading. So very nice performance. Um, this is one that, um, that we've been, been trading ourselves, recently got back into. Um, I think this will continue to push on. I like, re I think resources in general will do well in 2022. Um, but at current levels, it's a, I think it's a, it's a buying opportunity on, on the recent break. I really like this chart because it has very clear boundaries um, where it's fairly obvious where the buyers and, um, and sellers are. So when you see a stock in an uptrend and then it's got some horizontal clear horizontal boundaries, it just makes it easier to pick your entry and exit points. In this case, we could see at the start of the year, it had a very nice run up towards uh, just under $8. Um, there was clear buying just above six. Anytime it went near $8, everyone seemed to hit the sell button, very obvious. So as soon as it got through $8, that was the next buy signal. Made a quick run up to $10, so a quick 25% return there on the break from $8 up to $10 in the space of a few weeks. And again, consolidated the move. $10 was a very obvious level. Everyone seemed to, to want to take profits at $10. But now that it's pushed beyond that and it's got through all those sellers, um, it's, it's back into an uptrend. So um, at, even at current levels, I think it's, a, it's an opportunity and we should see it uh, make a fairly nice move over the next few months. So remind us what uh, resources, uh, minerals they're into. Uh, nickel and lithium. Yeah, both pretty popular. Around. Yeah, pretty popular at the moment. Yeah, they sure are. All right, Michael, thanks for joining us. Great to see thanks. you. Thanks, Peter. Joining me now is Marcus Bolgren from Blackmore Capital, who also manages the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. How are you, Marcus? Very well, thanks, Peter. So what's the, the latest with the portfolio? So we have made some, some changes to the portfolio in the last couple of weeks, and that was primarily based on the banking results that we saw from, uh, firstly from Westpac and C CBA. Uh, and the net result of that, there was some elements in that in terms of the earnings quality, which was disappointing. Both banks had exhibited much higher competition for mortgage lending, and that had put a, quite a bit of pressure, downward pressure, 
on their net interest margin. Uh, and that was evident across the banking, banking sector. The second element which was disappointing was around the expense line. And that has been far, far more uh, sort of a permanent structure there, which has sort of a, been an impediment there to the, earning, to the earnings growth. Notwithstanding that, uh, the dividend outlook of, of, the, of the banks still looks sound. So CBA is on a, on a dividend yield of just under 4% and Westpac is, is uh, just around about 5%. Uh, and the balance sheets remain unquestionably strong. So there, there will be further capacity there for off-market buyback. But the earnings profile is definitely showing signs of some pressure. So it doesn't mean you've got out of these banks altogether, but you've just reduced your exposure. Is that what you're saying? Correct. So we've reduced the exposure by about three percent, but our, our overall weighting to the to the boat to the two retail banks is still around eleven percent in the portfolio, given that uh, those those dividends look, look to be underpinned at these at these levels. Okay, so you've reduce your exposure there, what have you increased your exposure to? So we've taken advantage of a very sharp pullback in BHP's share price. So their share price fell from $54 at its peak to around $36. And so we were able to, to buy some more BHP at around $36. Currently, they're just, I think, over $40 today. Uh, and BHP's dividend yield looks attractive, more attractive than the banks at the moment. And we expect that the dividend yield for BHP will be around six and a half percent for the next financial year, and it'll be fully franked. So BHP taking advantage of a lower share price, some stabilisation in the iron ore, some improvements that we're starting to see in the, chi in the China economy uh, and a very, very strong balance sheet. The second company that we added to, which is another household name, is Telstra. So Telstra, in their last result and their most uh, recent strategy day, are starting to see some signs of not only stabilisation in the business from an earnings perspective, but also expecting to see some earnings growth over the forecast period. And importantly, the dividend of 16 cents looks sustainable, and that provides investors with a dividend yield of 4% fully franked. Yeah. So when you say 4% fully franked, someone listening to you could say 4% plus whatever my, my franking credits give me. Plus the franking credit, yes. Yeah, so that'll push that up over 5%. Yeah, for sure. All right. Now, any other sector that you've, you've been reacting to, maybe because of the, the, the threats of Omicron? Well... Omicron is interesting and particularly through our exposure to the healthcare companies. Primarily, we have an investment in Helios, which is the second largest pathology provider in Australia. And they're seeing an absolute renaissance in um, PCR testing. Uh, and we expect that that, uh, that trend will continue for the foreseeable future and really become part of the healthcare landscape. So those pathology providers are seeing the benefits of that because they're providing those tests. 
And secondly, we're now starting to see, as Australia is reopening, um, an improvement in base, base testing, both in pathology and imaging. So that's a key trend that we're seeing in healthcare. And the other element we do like in healthcare is um, elective surgery coming back in Australia, and then Ramsey Healthcare, which is another uh, core position in the portfolio, should be a beneficiary of that as well. Do you hold any CSL? And if you do or you don't, what's your view on their uh, prospective takeover of that Swiss company? Well, uh, we do hold CSL. Uh, we hold it at about a 3% position in the port portfolio. Uh, and we do like the long-term prospects of CSL and also the history that they've done on acquisitions historically. Uh, in many instances, the market uh, has paused on previous, pre previous acquisitions, but they've been quite astute historically in buying undervalued assets and then adding value to them. Uh, a most recent example would be um, buying into the, the flu business of Novartis, uh, where they've become one of the leading flu vaccine providers in the world from that acquisition. Yeah, yeah, good point. Marcus, thanks for joining us and uh, have a great Christmas and I look forward to seeing you in the new year. Absolute pleasure, Peter. Look forward to it. Well, joining me now is Michael Knox, Chief Economist at Morgan's in Brisbane. Great to see you, mate. Good to see you, Peter. Now, I always pester you uh, for your very courageous call on the Aussie dollar and you've been very good on, uh, on it as of late. Um, not to say that you were bad in the past, but since I've been pestering you, your calls have been very good. What, what are you seeing for the Aussie dollar in the um, 2022 year? Well, the fundamentals of the Aussie dollar are pretty well known um, and they're in our model. Uh, and those, the, the central um, um, most important thing is, of course, uh, export commodity prices. And the measure of that um, that we use is published every month by the uh, RBA. Um, the RBA has its model of uh, um, the Aussie dollar based on uh, SDR or the, or the trade weighted index is what they're attempting to model. But here in, here in market world, uh, we talk about uh, a dollar US dollar. So we use the index that they publish on uh, of US dollar commodity prices. And, and that's been running in recent months about 40 some percent, 43, 45% higher than, it, than the average uh, of last year and the year before. So there's been a significant boom in, in commodity prices. Uh, and what's interesting about it is it's uh, more broadly based now than it was in the beginning of the year. In the beginning of the year, it was just iron ore prices. But when iron ore prices went down, as we saw in the second half of the year, what, what happened was that natural gas prices went up and so did coal prices. And the, there's been an enormous boom in the wheat price, which in the wheat price was the largest single uh, export of the agricultural industry. So we have this sustained um, uh, period of high commodities, but the Aussie dollar is yet to uh, take or to mirror uh, what those commodity prices should be. The, the, uh, um, the Aussie dollar should be trading up towards uh, 89.90 cents if, if it had gone up in line with that. Um, 
But we note that uh, looking back at the, at the model and the model is the last 22 years, we, we base it on the period in which the Euro has existed as a, the dominant competitor uh, for the US dollar. Uh, we find, we, looking back, there was a period where the Aussie dollar was overvalued for about a year, uh, consistently been 2012 and 2013, mm. uh, before it sort of topped out, you know, when it was about parity, and then it started to fall, uh, and it, uh, it had a low up uh, that already had been in decline in commodity prices at that time, but the Aussie dollar didn't come down. And now there's been a rallying commodity prices, the Aussie dollar hasn't gone up. So I think it's just uh, uh, sticking with the model that the commodity prices stay high and we expect they will. Uh, our models of commodity prices are basically driven on uh, enormous expansion in the US budget deficit and mm. the stimulus that that's provided to the world trade system. Yeah. The US budget deficit in 2020 was 16% of GDP. This year, it's just under 12% of GDP. They're the biggest budget deficits, the biggest stimulus since the end of World War II. Amazing. Um, and so, therefore, we continue to expect uh, uh, strong or stronger commodity prices in the next year. And we think we'll eventually get to that stage where the Aussie dollar will follow up those high commodity prices. Yeah. So the risk is for the others that the Aussie dollar is going to go up. Yeah, and I guess the, the argument would be, uh, Michael, that if Omicron turns out to be a lot scarier than we expect, that could slow up the global economy, could have an impact on commodity prices, and therefore a rise in the Aussie dollar would, in effect, be delayed. Is that yes? Sure. Okay. Good. Yeah, that's that, that's probably the best explanation for why. Uh, the Aussie dollar is yet to run up in line with commodity prices has been this lag. Um, so, so I guess what you're kind of implying, and I, and I know you're a fun party kind of guy, that once we, once we think 2022 is going to be party time because the threat of a virus is really dissipating, that's when we might see uh, the, the outlooks for global growth really being ramped up. Commodity prices go with it and along goes the dollar. Yeah, and we are sort of getting to the point where uh, like the overwhelming, well, more than the overwhelming majority of Australians have been vaccinated. That's true in Europe. Uh, it's true in the United States. Um, and uh, uh, the most recent um, uh, variant of, uh, of the virus seems to be less threatening than previous ones. We don't know how it's going to go in the future, but it's kind of like we're adjusting to the problem. Yeah. And uh, by golly, everybody really does want to get back, get back to normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Now let's go to just the one other area that a lot of people are dwelling on, and there's real debate in the economics fraternity, and that is inflation. Is it transitory, or is it going to be persistent, and that's going to lead to more interest rate rises than people want, and I think the majority expect. Well. Um, the recovery we've had over the last year is very much more rapid than is the case for uh, a normal recovery from a recession. Uh, and uh, I referred to a piece that was done by the New York Fed back in April 2020 by two guys called Bram and Deitz, uh, who were two economists. And they said that what was happening in terms of the deterioration of employment in the US was much more like a natural disaster a huge version of a hurricane Katrina. And so what they said was 
the recovery from that would be much, much more rapid than the recovery from the financial crisis. And they've been exactly right uh, in what they've said. And we've had a much more rapid recovery both in the US and in Australia. And that's generated an enormous surge for uh, imports of goods. You know, what we've been sitting at home and buying on Amazon uh, when we've been locked down. And so, uh, so that's put enormous uh, stress on goods coming in from China. But what our economies actually do, what the US economy actually does, and Australia uh, does, is 80% of the US economy is involved providing services, not goods. So there, is a ch there are choke points on goods that don't exist in services. And Australia, 71% of the Australian economy produces services rather than goods. Um, so as the rate of recovery slows down, and it is slowing down, uh, uh, what's happening is we, we'll shift more towards the demand for services, particular travel services, uh, you know, restaurants, that kind of stuff, and other, and other services, you know, the things you get from going back to working in the city, yeah. all those kind of services, will get, will the, those kind of services will engage our economy and the price of those will be nothing like the, the price pressure on that, nothing like the price of uh, pressure on goods where you're getting everything from China kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, therefore inflation should slow down. Uh, that's even more the case in Australia, for example, than it is in the US. In the US, the amount of stimulus, the budget stimulus is twice as big as it is in Australia. Mm. Um, and their budget deficit last year was 16% of GDP. Our federal budget deficit was just over 7% of GDP. So mm. much more stimulus and much more a, a much stronger driver for those import prices uh, than um, here, uh, in the US uh, than, than here. And um, so when we move back to supplying our own services, which are in demand, that takes the pressure off uh, prices. Um, the trimmed mean for core inflation in Australia is only 2.1% in the most recent measure, you know, which is below the RBA's target of 2.5%. Even in the US, uh, the trimmed mean is 2.6%, you know, hardly, uh, hardly blowout territory. So we tend towards, particularly in Australia, the transient view of inflation and that uh, uh, inflation will slow down as there's more demand for services next year bit more of a problem in the US than here, but uh, uh, even so, uh, it'll, it'll slow down. And um, so, we, so we think that the upward pressure on interest rates, particularly in Australia, uh, just won't be there the way that, you know, it's popularly believed. Okay. Fantastic, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Have a great Christmas break. I look forward to talking to you in 2022. And a Merry Christmas to you, Peter. Well, with the property market unbelievably hot and lots of people being disappointed when they turn up to auctions, uh, let's just see what the princess of property, as I call her, Margaret Lomas of De Destiny Financial, see what she thinks is going to happen with the property market in 2022. Thanks for coming on the program, Margaret. Thank you for having me. I, I did refer in my intro to the right royal tips from the princess of properties. That's why I, I had to sort of maintain that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're too young to be queen. Anyway, you know that. Okay, let's go. First question I've got for you: 
Have you seen a house price boom like this one before? Well, I'm going to say yes and no. Um, the no is because I guess I haven't seen it happen to so many markets at once. Yeah. But I was interested to go back myself and sort of have a look at how everything compares. And I've got some really interesting figures here that I've put together for you. Right. And it goes back to 2003 or even before that. It actually goes back to 1998. And in the five years from 1998 to 2003, the best performer over those five years was actually New South combined New South Wales regional towns. And they grew in that period of time by 84%. Mm. Now, most capital cities in that same period did around 60%, except for Perth and Hobart, way down there in the 30% mark over that five-year period. Now, the next five years, from 2008 to 2013, it was, uh, sorry, from 2003 to 2008, it was actually regional uh WA that did the best. And in that five-year period, it grew by 120%, mm. while Perth did 102% in that five-year period. And most of that 102% came in an 18-month period in that five years. Now, at that time, Sydney, and everybody always thinks Sydney's this fabulous capital city that always does well. In that five years, Sydney did a miserable 12% cumulative mm. while brisbane did 69 percent now if we go from 2008 to 2013 it was then regional northern territory's turn and they did uh, 38 percent 31 percent darwin and sydney another miserable nine percent so over a 10-year period there sydney was just in the doldrums and didn't give any return to anybody now, to 2018, Sydney then fought back a little, 64% over that five-year period. And, of course, the rest is history. The last three years have been quite stunning growth across the board, but it's not unheard of for us to see the kind of growth that we've been seeing at the moment. Yeah. You, you took me down memory lane then and um, when it comes to the WA story. It's when people on this side of the country learned that it was a place called Mandurah, which was a, a very popular place in those days. And it was interesting because what had happened was Perth at that point in time had been the most affordable capital city. Um, and more importantly, what a lot of people who haven't been to Perth or don't understand their property market, what they don't realise is that for the kind of um, money that you're paying, you get more house in a better uh, situation. So if you went, say, 10 uh, kilometres from the CBD in Sydney, what you're paying for, you're getting maybe a three-bedroom, 50-year-old house um, that it doesn't have a very good return. In Perth, what you get for your money there is, you know, five bedrooms, four bathrooms, an alfresco area, a media room, you name it, it's got it. So, so what you're getting for each dollar that you spend per square metre is significantly better in places like Perth. Yeah. Are you expecting a significant fall in prices eventually? Look, I don't think there's going to be a significant fall, but there's a lot of things that we've got to unpack here and many, many things to take into consideration. The first thing is that 
we're already starting to see signs of a little bit of a turnaround. So while I don't think we're on this sudden slippery slope to negative territory, we're definitely coming off the heat of the market. Sydney auction clearance rates have slipped below 60%. Melbourne has also weakened, came back strong at the end of lockdown and already is showing signs of retreating again. Housing finance approvals have fallen. So we're seeing a lot less finance approvals and it's not surprising because a lot of people are now priced out of many markets. First home buyers, they're just nowhere to be seen at the moment in our major capitals. So they've definitely retreated the market in both Sydney and Melbourne. Investors are still holding at the present moment, but it isn't going to take much to then kick them back out of the market. And we're probably going to see that from APRA. They've already made a move on serviceability for uh, people getting a loan. They're making that plug rate or that approval rate that they keep toying with that up and down and it's gone up again. We've got a lot of surplus stock in a lot of our areas as well that hasn't uh, been, uh, hasn't made its way out yet. And our population growth this year is some 34,000 people down. So in the face of a falling population, we're getting that oversupply. Obviously, affordability is out the window for most people. We're seeing more listings come on the market. Wages aren't going up and no one's going to be asking for a wage rise now that we've just come out of you know, a, a pretty bad time for a lot of employers. I guess when you think about those many, many factors, then we have to see a slowdown in prices. But there will definitely be some cities where I think we'll definitely see maybe some negative growth toward the end of 2022. Okay, so if I'm an investor, uh, should I wait a bit longer? And I guess the related question is, at the moment, is there any place that actually looks like good value? Look, if you're an investor, the advice that I always give an investor is if you're going to get into the market, just get into the market. I think what you saw when I went over all of those figures from 1998 till now is that usually in a normal market, something's usually running hot and something's not. And obviously property being a longer term investment than a share investment, so long as you don't want to get in and get out and be a flipper and try to make money in two or three years, you just need to hold. And obviously, if, if providing you bought fairly well, eventually you make make money. But there are definitely some markets that I wouldn't be buying in now if I was an investor. And that's very obviously the Sydney and Melbourne market. There are also definitely markets that I would be buying in because the big growth that we've seen in Sydney and Melbourne hasn't translated as much into Brisbane and Adelaide, but there are plenty of experts out there who believe that next year is the year for both of those, those areas. Yeah. You, you've often, I can remember you made me laugh a few years back when you said you like Deception Bay, which I is one of the most amusingly known places of all time. <laughs> it's quite a nice area, isn't it? Oh, and look what it's done. Um, yeah. You know, my son-in-law only a couple of years ago purchased a property there. He paid 230 for it. It's just been revalued at 370 and he went from a rent of 250 a week because rents are hot. Let's not forget what's happening with rents. 
He mm. just released it at 370 a week. Now, who doesn't want a $370 a week rent return on a $230,000 yeah. buying price? It's a fabulous return. And we also have, have to remember that when it comes to property, I like to consider the combined figures of both rent increases or the, the, the rent amount that you're going to get plus the growth you get to, to work out whether it's a worthwhile investment. If you're going to see a 5% growth in a year on a property and you're also going to get a 5% rental yield, that's not a bad way to make a little bit of money, really. Mm. So, you know, investors, there's still plenty of great buyers out there. We've actually seen Adelaide in certain pockets get increases of around 25 to 30% in just the last six months. So a lot of those suburbs that I've talked about when I've been on your show around the Christie's Beach area, the Onkaparinga Shire, some of those properties and areas have really done very well over the last six months and aren't showing any signs of slowing down. Now we're seeing attention come into some of those northern suburbs and some of those lower socioeconomic areas that haven't had the growth yet, but because from an Adelaide perspective, a lot of areas that were formerly affordable are no longer affordable, people are shifting their focus to those more affordable areas. Mm. Are rents pr pretty reasonable in Adelaide? Because you've said Brisbane is good for uh, rents. What about Adelaide? Adelaide's very similar. I mean, we've been getting uh, properties for our clients in both Adelaide and Brisbane that have at least a 5% rental return. And if you're only paying two and a half to three percent on your loan, it's definitely a good way to get into a market and sit and wait for that growth to come because you're not really contributing anything. You can even pay principal and interest on rates like that and still have a property that's probably going to look after itself. And I think, you know, investors tend to lose sight of what property is meant to do for you. And I guess if you're a share investor and you're looking for the price of your share to go up fairly quickly and for you to get a good dividend out of that share and to be able to then sell it as soon as it hits its peak, it doesn't work like that in property. You, you want to keep your property for the long term. You have to understand that as it grows, you can leverage against that growth into more property and therefore create a bit of a snowball effect but you want that property to be able to have a cash flow good enough to be able to cover all its costs while you just sit there and wait for that growth to come. And it does over time if you follow the fundamentals and buy into areas that have families, have infrastructure going in, good strong councils who are looking to really make it a great place to live. And there's plenty of areas like that that aren't Sydney and Melbourne. Margaret Lomas, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And that's the show for this week. Yep, we're alive and happening next week. I'll see you on Monday. And if you want to know more about us, go to switzerreport.com.au or switzer.com.au. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.